Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. A little over a year ago, I received an email from a woman named Shaney Silver. I didn't yet know Shaney, but I was so pleased to have the introduction and the invitation to appear on her podcast, A Single Serving. As I learned more about Shaney, I was even more honored to be invited to speak on her program because she doesn't really talk about dating relationships too much. She prefers to talk about the single life, thriving, remaining empowered, keeping your standards high, and she's actually not a fan of online and app dating whatsoever. So she steers clear of those kind of typical topics that singles talk about a lot because she wants to make sure that her community is resonating in the fullness of their single life, not focused on finding a partner at all times. So again, I was super honored to be able to share with her community. And I met so many women from her community who then joined my community. It was a really lovely connection we made. And I'm so pleased to share Shaney's work with you on day three of National Unmarried and Single Americans Week. Here's a little more about Shaney. Shaney Silver is a Brooklyn-based humor essayist and podcaster working to change the negative narratives around single life. A single-serving podcast and its Facebook community are spaces where singlehood isn't shamed. It's celebrated. Shaney believes that when we love and celebrate our single lives as whole, valid, and worthy— we're far less likely to enter into relationships that aren't right for us, just so we don't have to be single anymore. Relationships are amazing, and we deserve to have them. But Shaney is working to show the single community that we don't have to be miserable in the meantime. My interview with Shaney Silver, next. Shaney, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you again. Yeah, same. So for anyone who hasn't heard, I was able to appear on Shaney's program, a single serving podcast. And I was especially honored because her content is typically not dating relationship whatsoever. She is very intentional about creating a space for singles to talk about all the other things in life besides <laughs> relationship, which is unusual. And we're going to get to that because I yeah. love that. But so I was very honored that you would allow me to to connect with your community because I know uh, I'm sure you're the same as I am with my listeners and my community. I'm very protective of them. And I don't allow a lot of voices if I don't agree with their philosophy or I think that what they would say could be disparaging or even mm-hmm. subtly single shaming. So thank you once again. And of course, I enjoyed our conversation so much. I wanted to have you on my program to talk about your experiences, your platform. And because it's National Unmarried and Single Americans Week, I thought it'd be perfect to kick it off with a conversation with you. So thank you. Thank you. That's that's really that's really special. Thank you so much for having me, especially for for that purpose. But I, I am also very protective of my audience, but I I don't mind talking about dating or gearing the conversation that way, as long as it isn't coming from a place that places blame on singles or suggests to them that they're somehow wrong and in need of fixing. 
Um, you, I mean, you know this, you're in this space. It can often be coming at singles from such a deficit right from the start. And um, I don't think that the narrative ever changes permanently unless we start seeing single people as completely valid and whole and not leading a consolation prize life, if that makes sense. So our conversation fit in very well with my content because I think the audience was so excited to talk about dating productively. I think that can be pretty rare. A hundred percent. Everything you said, because there's so few messages, which is obviously why I wrote my book, because I'd go to the self-help section and all the messages seem to suggest that read my book, you'll fix yourself because you're so fundamentally flawed and then you'll get that relationship you want. And I thought, "Mm, yeah, no, not buying it, not buying the books and not buying the messaging. Exactly, exactly. So let's let the listeners know a little bit about how you entered this space because it is a very unique space. And I think you probably, as you were living your life and doing your thing, kept coming across the same types of messages and thought, uh, there's got to be something else out there for us as single people. So just share a little bit of your journey as a writer and then as a podcast host. Sure. I really wish it was that elegant. Honestly, like the start of my (laughs) path to doing what I do now to sort of uh, advocating for, for single life is a valid one. It began because I was really tired of waiting. I was really tired of waiting for my life to begin. And the Mm. message I had always received growing up and in young adulthood was, you haven't started yet because you're still single. You can't start your real life until you have a partner. And then all the real parts of life begin. We signify the, the end of education and the beginning of your professional life with a graduation ceremony. And we signify the end of your singlehood and the beginning of your partner life with a wedding. And there was really nothing there that moved my life symbolically from one state to another. So I was kind of just always in this permanent in-between waiting for real life to start. And I have a very clear memory of being in the backseat of my mom's car in Fort Worth, Texas over Thanksgiving one year. And I was just like, the thought came into my head literally out of nowhere and it wouldn't leave. And it was just, you can start living your life now. Mm. Like there wasn't any, there's no other way I can describe it. It was just that clear and that simple. I didn't have to wait for my life to begin. I could start living a full life right now. And I wish that writing had started then and the podcast had started then because this was many, many years ago, but it took so much longer for that message to actually take root and for me to start taking action behind it. So I started writing Gosh, I was writing about dating and relationships in a purely complaining capacity for years and years and years. (laughs) And I got tired of that too. I was so exhausted. It was like nothing I ever wrote about or did or, or, or changed or anything. None of it had any impact on the dating world as a whole. And none of it had any impact on improving my mood either. So Mm. I wanted to start talking about more. I wanted to start talking about our single lives as if we could start living them fully right now, because we can. So I started doing that more and it felt a lot better. And then I uh, began writing a series on Refinery29 on that topic as well. And as soon as I saw the response to that content, I wanted, I knew that I wanted to start a podcast because I would listen to other podcasts on a variety of topics. So much of the content around singlehood and around dating, all of it was just as an, it was being presented as a negative. Even if it was funny, it was a negative. Like it's not funny when someone ghosts you, but we make a joke out of that because Mm -hmm. it makes it, it makes it go down a little bit easier, I guess. Mm -hmm. 
But I didn't want to laugh at that stuff. I wanted to talk about everything else. I wanted to give single people more to discuss and to acknowledge and to celebrate because we were in this or always are in this like very narrow focus of just dating, how to find someone, where to find someone, how to be better at dating. There's a ton of sex content for single people. I knew I didn't want to be in that space. I just wanted to be in all the other spaces because when you look for them, they're really infinite. There's so much more to do than date if you're single. And that's (laughs) what I wanted to talk about. I've been talking about it in the podcast since April of 2019. And it's, it's been such a joyous project for me. And you invited me to join your Facebook group, which I just want to highlight right now as well, because all of what you just said is being discussed and there's so much engagement with your community you've created there. And I was able to, when you posted about our podcast episode, I was able to to respond to questions and that sort of thing. And so I just want to invite anyone who's out there who, what Shani just said, sounds like your cup of tea. There is a home for you on Facebook. And that I just want to make sure that people know, because I do feel, and I felt myself over the years, there was that I believed, and one of your one of your listeners mentioned this, and I was responding today. I believed that I was valid in and of myself. I didn't need a partner to validate my existence and make me somehow a society approved right. a, as a human being. And I knew that. I knew that to my core. But when you face it time and time again, and it comes at you in very subtle ways, we discussed it on your program. Things like, how is a girl like you still single? Oh, and, yeah. you know, all these kinds of questions. And they, again, I, I tried to remember. I tried to take the high road. <laughs> Although I like your response to that. We talked about it on your program. You'll have to share that with the audience. But <laughs> I tried to take the high road and realize they're coming from a pure place. That's a compliment, actually. But then the subtext is, well, you seem so healthy emotionally and attractive and you seem like a catch. So why haven't you been caught? And the subtle messaging underneath that, which no one intends, is that again, you're somehow incomplete. And this is the type of thing that started going through my mind and why I had to write my book. And so I love that you're providing a very intentional space for just that, that we don't have to talk about dating. Because as you put it, if we focus only on dating relationships as single people, we are then stepping into and confirming that messaging. Absolutely. We're feeding into the narrative that we were raised with. And we don't have to. It feels awkward, I think, to go against the grain in any capacity, uh, especially in one like this, because at the same time, even when we are acknowledging the wonderful parts of being single, it's still very valid to want a relationship. So there's a weird medium in the middle and I've been trying really hard and I will continue to try because I think repetition helps the message sink in. Mm -hmm. It is 100% possible to love your single life and to want a relationship at the same time. Both Mm -hmm. of those things can coexist. And we have been taught a false narrative that if you somehow become very comfortable and confident and calm and happy being single, that that's somehow telling the relationship gods that you don't want a boyfriend. And that is not true. It's just simply not true. That's not a real thing that happens. I would argue that the polar opposite is true, honestly. Um, I know for sure what will, I can't ever promise anybody that they're going to, you know, meet their partner when, like, that's not something I will ever say to anybody. But I can tell you, you will live a happier single life if you learn to embrace all the good about it instead of 
you know, kind of missing it because we're so mired down in swiping and searching and just on this constant hunt. I was on a constant hunt for a decade, a full decade of my life. I was searching for a partner and I didn't find one. It's a, it's kind of a cruel situation. And you know this, that effort does not match reward in dating. (laughs) That doesn't happen if you go to the gym. That doesn't happen if you go back to school. Like You always have something to show for your effort, but not necessarily in the dating space. You're just as likely to meet your partner on your 50th date as your second date. You just don't know. Like We don't know these things. These aren't our answers to have. But I do know that enjoying a single life, not as a consolation, but as a like on par life yes. with partnership is entirely possible. I know that because I'm living it. So that's why I talk into a microphone once a week and I <laughs> write all the time and I, you know, manage a Facebook group of thousands of women <laughs> who are talking to each other and men. That's why I do that because I came out of a hole and I know the way out of the hole. And so I want to tell other people that it's possible. If you want to, you can change the way you feel about singlehood. And that's so important to me as well, because it took a while for me, but eventually I did get to that place where I could sit with the tension of being fully happy in my single life and knowing that I was not at all less than, and I was no more flawed in some way, shape or form than my happily married counterpart, but then also deeply desiring connection and wanting to find my person. And I finally figured that out because along the way, and I'm sure you hear this from your community and I do as well, I was told things like, well, you're just too independent now, right? You <laughs> you, right? You, you're so, like, I was in my late thirties and you're so independent and you don't come off as if you need a man. So why would a man be attracted to you if you don't need him? And I thought, hmm, a guy who wants me to be needy with him is not my guy. So, you know, but this is the kind of thing that women hear and men, I'm sure, as well, all the time. And it can get very jumbled up. And to compound the situation, our brains are designed to make sense and to make meaning of our existence. And as you said, the one thing in the world that we can not guarantee based on the amount of hours we put in and the amount of time and effort we give to it, the search for love does not play out that way. Like you said, like the gym, like education, like many other and most realms of life, frankly, our effort is rewarded. And in this case, we can't. So then we try to make an explanation for it because we go, well, something's got to be, there's a variable I haven't identified that's at work here, right? And so we're being smart. We're being wise. We're trying to figure out the quote unquote problem. And then we hear these explanations. So maybe I am too independent. Oh my gosh, I was told as a child to go and be and do and everything, but now maybe I better tone it down because I'm just too much. Oh, too much is such a hard one for me. That's a real, I really, really have empathy for anyone who has ever been told they're too much, either Mm -hmm. uh, directly to their face or through uh, societal messaging or or the actions of other people. I was told I was too much for many, many years of my life and I believed it. And the sooner you can hear that you are not too much and the sooner you can prove it to yourself by understanding that if you make yourself less and that's what attracts people to you, you're going to have to be less forever Mm. And that doesn't sound fun to me. That doesn't (laughs) sound authentic to me. Um, As soon as you can recognize that, I think that you'll start to feel better and understand that, again, it's just another 
message that isn't true. I ha- there are so many narratives that are false that I am trying to rewrite through conversations like this and through many other avenues because I'm tired of people basically lying to single women. I'm tired of the lies we tell single women through the stories we tell, through the advice we give, through the jokes we make. I'm tired of us lying to single women because those lies have very real consequences in our lives, in our mental health, in our self-worth, our self-esteem. And we never deserved that ever. Mm -hmm. And I want to tell a better story because it, it exists. Many better stories exist about single life. So I want to tell them. Absolutely. And when I hear that kind of messaging, it's obviously disparaging to women, clearly. But the not so clear reality is it's also disparaging to men because it suggests that a man can't handle a woman with opinions. Oh, a man, I know. Isn't right? that so sad? It, it, right? It's not any better for the men. Yeah. It's like you can't handle, she's too much for you to handle because you'll be intimidated if she speaks her mind or if she's independent. And I think, no, we're all better than that. We're all better than all of that. I agree. I need to, that's a personal challenge of mine that I really need to lean into as my podcast moves forward and my writing moves forward is getting better at communicating with men about the single space. Because Mm -hmm. even in the discussions I've had in the past, I felt like we're not really getting down to the heart of anything. We're just kind of talking about the realities of single life for single men versus the realities of single life for single women. And there's always going to be an imbalance there. There's always going to be double standard there. I want to talk more about, and I have challenged myself to this, but the most ironic thing is it's actually really hard to find single men to bring on the podcast. I'm like, of course, I can't find single men even for this, but it's it's (laughs) hilarious to me. But it's definitely a personal challenge of mine to have more depth to the conversations that I have and publish with single men, because I think there's more going on than the sort of surface level assumptions we make about dating. I don't think it's true that every man swipes right on every girl. I don't Mm -hmm. think that that's true. I think it happens, but I don't think it's the only thing that happens. And I don't think that all men ghost. I don't think that all men are simply looking for sex once and then they never want to talk to a woman again. I don't think that all men are doing anything. I think that they're doing a lot more. And I think there's a lot more variations in their behavior than we're we're digging into. So it's definitely a personal goal of mine and a personal challenge because it has been tough to do, but that doesn't mean it's not worth trying. It's very tough to do. And I love this pursuit because when we get to those deeper levels, that's where we can actually begin conversations that are healing so that we don't have to, again, look at each other and assume the worst of someone by virtue of the fact that he's a male. I mean, that's so discriminating. <laughs> I mean, really wh- what are we doing here? I, what kind of things do you think? I mean, just as you've been begun to speculate about this, what kind of things do you think might be going on? Because I agree with you. When I was writing my book, I was looking at some of the other content in the space. And it always bothered me when, especially when women, of course, women authors would say, here are the secrets to the male mind. And I'm like, A, oh you're a woman. <laughs> so, and then B, are you trying to say that all men think this way all the time? That's absurd. And I don't want all men. So don't try to help me, quote unquote, change myself so that I can be desirable to all men because I don't want to be desirable to all men. And and frankly, I want to be desired by a man who desires me for who I am. Yep. Same. And it's just so absurd, these messages. It drives me crazy. What do you think might be going on at a deeper level? I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping that men have a platform like yours. I hope that they engage with you. But if they feel that, oh, that's a space for women, that they have voices 
from from men because I think it's sometimes it's it's valuable to have messages and information coming from someone who is like you. And I don't know a, a ton of the men in the space that are doing some of that work, but what do you think is going on with men? Any thoughts? Oh, I have lots of thoughts. I don't know if any of them are accurate, but it's so <laughs> funny that you say that. You're not the first podcast host that's had me on their podcast that is convinced that there's a male version of me somewhere <laughs> out there podcasting on this topic. If he exists, we have not yet found him. But um, what I think is happening, just for, this is anecdotal and it's just from personal observation. I think uh, as with anything, there is a real lack of expressed vulnerability from single men. Um, mm -hmm. And if it happens, it is presented to us in a really unfair and kind of pathetic way. There's no, it just doesn't seem like there are a lot of strong messages in the single male space. It, it seems almost like you're like, I hate this word, but like weaker Mm -hmm. As a man, if you talk about single life the same way that women do, does that make any sense at all? It just, it isn't something they do. Yeah. In fact, the next single man that I'm talking to on my podcast, I invited him on. He's a comedian and he makes these hilarious TikTok videos. He was suggested to me by my audience. And when I saw his content, when I saw his comedy, it was one of the first times that I had seen any kind of male vulnerability in the single space without like this, you know, like I'm the worst messaging. You know what mm -hmm, I mean? It mm -hmm. was just sort of calling out, well, this is what happens to me. And now I'm just going to keep making more funny videos. And it didn't seem like he was, it didn't seem like being single was weighing on his self-worth. He was kind of just telling the truth in a way that wasn't, it didn't seem as detrimental to single self-worth as some of the other uh, comedic works I've seen in the space. And do you think that he is able to speak to that without having it impact his self-worth in the same way as women, because as a man, the status of single is perceived differently by others. Would Is that what you're thinking or not sure? We're going to find out one way or another. <laughs> we are about to find out. The only other thing that I've really noticed in the like dating and relationship space about men is that we've all dated more men than we can count, right? But they've also <laughs> dated more women than they can count. We're all doing this. We're all mm -hmm. in the same zone. The only time I've seen women and myself surprised by behavior is when they've met their person. Mm -hmm. Their behavior suddenly becomes so different, seemingly different, and so surprising, like a complete 180. Like this guy was an absolute asshole to me. Like, I, I cannot believe the way I was treated. And then you turn around and he's somehow like scrubbed up to become this amazing partner and father and all of these things. And you're just like, who are you right now? Like what happened? I think there is, and I think this probably happens to everybody. I don't care what your gender is. When you meet your person, I feel like you're operating within that relationship space in a different way than when you were in the dating space and you obviously had not met your person yet. I think there are behaviors that we exhibit in the right relationship that we don't necessarily exhibit when we're just kind of dating everybody. I completely agree. I think it's very easy when we've been hurt time and time again to vilify and to say, and, and you see it on social media, at least in my community, it's all over the place. Every guy who hurt a girl is an arc. And I think, okay, that's diagnostic inflation, but whatever. But 
it's also that we, when we meet the right person, things fall into place in a way that's kind of hard to explain. If you're with the right person, things should be a lot easier than they ever were before because you were with the wrong person. Right. And and that doesn't mean that you didn't learn from that experience. It doesn't mean it wasn't a great relationship. It doesn't mean there wasn't a deep love. But when you meet that person for whom the relationship now becomes an easier way of being. And I resist the whole bringing out the best in each other because I yeah. <laughs> I, I personally wanted to be the best with or without anybody. Right. But where I guess it's easiest to be authentically yourself and that you resonate with each other's authenticity. And I'm always encouraging my community We're not shooting for, you know, we talked about this on your program. We're not shooting for mediocre. You know, we're not because mediocre is going to be tough at times. And listen, extraordinary is going to be tough at times because life is tough. Also, I'm sure people surprise themselves Mm -hmm. after years of of breaking hearts and being heartbroken. They go, wow, I didn't think I was a relationship person. And then I, I suddenly was because it was just there was a level of ease and comfort and familiarity even that's surprised even someone who thought, well, maybe this isn't for me, this relationship stuff. Oh, yeah. I've seen too many shocking 180s in behavior yeah. to doubt that that's true. Yeah. And it's and that's encouraging, I hope. I hope so, too. I don't mean I, it yeah. to be discouraging at all. I, mm-hmm. I never want to be discouraging to single people ever. I also, like, that's that's half the reason I talk about what I talk about is, like, sometimes I think when you do get into the weeds on dating a little bit, it can seem like a pretty negative place. Mm-hmm. And... I hope that both expanding the discussion and bringing in chats like the one I had with you that feel more productive, we can sort of lift some of that negativity off of it and re-infuse the dating space with some fun and some joy because I I firmly believe that online dating in the modern dating landscape has sucked the joy right out of it. Yeah. It feels like – and it's referred to as a job or a chore – Mm-hmm. And I don't understand why it has to be that. I don't understand why the path to the best thing ever, companionship mm-hmm. and love, one of the best things ever, like the path to that, why does it have to be horrible? Like I, that doesn't track for me. That doesn't make any sense, but it it can feel like a really punishing space. Mm-hmm. And the the deeper in the weeds you get, the longer you've been at this, I believe me, I know the frustrations of it. I have been there for a full decade of my life, a full decade. Yeah. <laughs> there is yeah. a way, there's a way to feel better about it, but it takes a lot of oh, just like broadening your perspective and sort of loosening up the grip that I think can help. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about that because you mentioned that 10 years of the grind that felt like a grind. I have a, a friend in my space. She wrote a book called Single Girl Bliss. Her name is Leslie Kaz and she's in her late 40s and she calls it the endless search. And her book is actually about giving it up entirely. She has now decided I am uh, kind of a la Bella DePaulo, Dr. DePaulo. I'm cool, single, and I'm so much happier just fully embracing my life and all the beauty therein, as opposed to always looking to, well, my life's pretty good, but I'm still single. So she's fully stepped into that. And that's one option. And I applaud it. And then again, there's the option that we spoke to earlier in this episode of fully being happy now and fully being interested in finding your person. And you mentioned crawling out of a hole, you put it, where you needed to do some mindset work. And you alluded to this when we talked on your program. I'd love you to describe a little bit about what it was that allowed you to start to reframe a lot of the perceptions you had about your experience as a single person and a a person dating. Sure. I would love to talk about that. Well, 
100% honesty, I have help at this. I do uh, Lacey Phillips work. That was how I sort of started down the reframing path, but it's, it was the kickoff to it, but it's not the only work that I do. And that involves just kind of looking through sort of the library of limiting beliefs that we Mm. have, that we've picked up along the way and essentially getting to the root of what, like, what is the messaging behind that limiting belief? What did it teach us? What are, what are we sort of, what patterns are emerging in our lives over and over and over again? And Mm. what limiting beliefs do those stem from? And, um, Another part of of what I've done is I've looked at what wasn't serving me in my life and removed it. And then I had the benefit of seeing what things were like once something that wasn't serving me was gone. And that felt so good. I did it more and more and more and more and more. In so many areas of life, dating was just a very small one. Mm -hmm. But um, the biggest change, I think, and it started actually before my podcast, I deleted all of my dating apps. Mm -hmm. And I did this in January of 2019. I looked at my whole life and I was like, what is not serving me? And dating apps had served me the least. Out of everything in my life, dating apps had never, ever served me. I did not have any good memories. I did not have one relationship result from online dating ever. Mm -hmm. I don't think I ever, ever had a fourth date result from online dating and barely any third dates. It just, it had never served me ever. So why was I giving so much of my time and energy to it? It was that pattern that everyone's familiar with. Like you get really fed up, you delete them. And three weeks later, you feel guilty because you're not doing enough to try Mm. to stop being single because being single is such a horrible thing. You (laughs) you re-download the apps again. Mm -hmm. But I I deleted mine in January of 2019 and they've been gone ever since. And that's after a decade of daily use. And that's a big thing to let go of. And after I did that, I just felt so good. And it wasn't necessarily because new things were coming into my life, like like flowing to me instantly to take their place. That wasn't what was happening. What was happening was that there was an absence of negativity that Mm -hmm. the dating apps were generating. So I used to call online dating the bucket of nothing because it would just be swipe, 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 swipe into infinity. I was doing this in my 30s and the frequency of matches uh, had steadily declined every year of my age. And so I would swipe into infinity, match with, oh God, like a handful of men a month. And out of those, maybe one would write to me or respond to a message that I sent to him. It was just barely any activity at all. And when that little activity was happening to me, it was just a negative reinforcement every day. No one wants you. No one wants you. No one wants you. All day, every day, that was the message I was getting. But when the dating apps were gone, so was that message. Mm. That negativity was gone. And I felt so much lighter and so much happier and so much more like in my body and in myself. I just felt like myself again. Like who I authentically am is not someone that does well with just the constant stream of negativity coming at me. I doubt that anybody likes that. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Um, So I got rid of that and I realized like, okay, what else can we do? What else is not serving me? What else can I change? And I changed almost everything. A a traditional work environment was not serving me. I became freelance. I am a thousand times happier now. It just, I had to prove things to myself. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of a late bloomer. I'm not a slow learner, but I am a late bloomer. I come around to things kind of late or last. Mm -hmm. 
I'm a cancer and I feel like crabs move slowly, but <laughs> when I get there, I'm in. And, it, you know, it seems odd to like arrive at the career you were meant for at like, I think I was, was I 36, 37, something like that. But being a freelancer is, is how I'm meant to live and it's how I'm meant to work. I'm meant to work for myself and I'm meant to have complete agency over my workday and over the kind of work that I do and the just like the levels of joy that have erupted since I removed things from my life that weren't serving me. Dating was just one of them, but it was a huge one and it got a very big ball rolling. I love that. It's just taking – it's empowered. It's taking control of what you can. Mm-hmm. And really, that's – something we all have to look at in our life. What is it? The serenity prayer, whether you're yep. an alcoholic or an addict or just someone who wants to be happier. God grant me the serenity to change what I can. I don't know exactly verbatim, but, and and then to the wisdom to know the difference, things that mm-hmm. I can't control, I need to accept and those that I can. But it sounds like you were realizing that there was a lot more in your reality that was in your control. And it took courage, I'm sure, to step away to be a freelancer. I'm sure it took courage too, even with the dating apps, because what I hear from so many in my community is, like you spoke to, this guilt of, but I'm not doing enough to meet my person. And if this is something I desire and I value my life, I need to work for it, right? So how did you kind of reconcile that? I stopped seeing singlehood as something I had to fix. I stopped seeing it as a problem or a task or a responsibility of mine. I just stopped. I stopped that work and that effort altogether. And I decided that what was meant for me was going to connect with me. And it was not going to be because I was fighting to find it. Because I had fought to find it for a decade and I didn't. So that method didn't serve me. Mm -hmm. Maybe just relaxing and letting go and living life will connect me to who I'm meant to be with anyway. Maybe that will happen. And this method feels better. I am not a huge fan for myself personally. I'm not a huge fan of all or nothing decisions. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's one big one that, that we will get to in this discussion, but like swearing off dating is not a phrase that I abide by at all. Yeah. I think that's weird. Unless you are someone like Bella DiPaolo who knows that singlehood is her preference, that is how she wants to live her life forever, then yeah, why would you date if you don't want to be with anybody? (laughs) If you do want to be with somebody and dating isn't working out for you, you don't have to make the decision to just stop dating as a way to protect yourself. You are allowed to be open to possibility and you're allowed to be open to meeting new people if that's what you want. I don't like the this swearing off dating altogether, that that for me feels a little too aggressive in this mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. I think a more, at least for me, what works better is just understanding that by being a human being and living my life, that's enough. That's enough to connect me with partnership because I've seen way too many people and way too many couples connect just because they were alive just because they were living. It wasn't (laughs) because they were on this endless grind to find each other. In fact, that's even when it's like we met online, there's always more of a story to it. And I encourage my audience to hear as many stories of how people met as possible, because in my opinion, they're infinite. There's no couple that met the exact same way as another couple. These methods are infinite. And how people even, I mean, meeting is just half of it, right? You then have to connect in a way that is special, that that draws you to each other. Like that has to happen too. And I just, I know for me, putting my, my effort and weight behind that search and that hunt 
isn't going to get it done. Mm -hmm. And knowing that because I've already lived 10 years of that being true. So I've already proven it to myself. Just sort of letting go of that effort and understanding that just living my life, I am still worthy of connecting with partnership and I will connect with partnership. That's just, it feels so much better. And and for me, it's a happier way to live. I remember at one point in my years of being on the scene and being single and grappling with all the issues we're talking about today. I remember one point I would hear things that from, again, from all the messages about singles, that they're doing something wrong, blah, blah, blah. I remember thinking, I don't have trouble connecting with anyone else on the planet. I make friends easily. I enjoy people. I believe myself to be warm and someone who's genuinely interested in other people. I don't see how if I can connect with many, many, many other people that it's going to be that difficult for me when it's the right fit for me to connect with my person. And then that was comforting to me because I, what it did for me was realize that those traits that allow me to build relationship with others, with my family, with my nieces, nephews, with everyone involved there, also my coworkers, also my friendships, that those same traits would generalize to love, even when there would be a dry spell or it felt that, gosh, what am I doing? Of course, I, I would fall into it sometimes. What am I doing wrong that it's not working in the romantic realm? But realizing that th- there wasn't anything I was doing wrong because we don't say the same thing about friends. Like if you've lived in Brooklyn for as long as you've lived in Brooklyn, what if next month you meet like your new best friend in Brooklyn? You'd never be like, well, I guess I was doing it all wrong with my friends for the last 10 years. And then I met so-and-so and now I got it right. You would never say that, right? No. We, we, we we have this interesting framework for love that we don't apply to other realms. And so I wanted to flip it on its on its head almost and say, I know that I can do relationships because I do them all the time, all day, every day with all these other people. And that's going to serve me when it comes to my person. Of course. Of course. We, we, we make love and sex and relationships way too precious, way too precious. Like, yes, they are wonderful things, but you are not incomplete without them. But we wouldn't know that. No, every story, every movie, every song, everything is just feeding us message after message after message that if you are single, you are wrong. Mm-hmm. It's casual. It's casual as hell. And that's why it's so dangerous. Mm. You can very easily, without noticing it, be just like aggressively online dating for like a year <laughs> and like seeing it as this job or responsibility or chore without even really noticing it. You're just like, well, this is the thing I have to do, right? Like I have to do this. Like I can't not do this. Then how am I going to meet anybody? And I have to meet somebody because being single is wrong. Like that message is so casually soaked into us Mm. that we wouldn't challenge it. Why would you challenge it? Unless you get that kind of exhausted and that kind of frustrated and, and start feeling like this can't be my whole life. Like I'm not just meant for this. It's really easy to just go down that path without ever challenging it because it was never challenged for us before. Oh my gosh, that's so true. And I love how you put it. It's so casual. The conversations, if you just <laughs> hop around brunch sometime and just dip your ear into different conversations, they will just be as, like you said, as casual as can be. Oh, well, that's why he's still single. And that's why she's still single, right? As if, what? Oh my gosh, can we unpack that for a moment, what you just said? Mm-hmm. I mean, can you please? And that's why I'm encouraging my community, I know you do as well, to unpack, like you said, to challenge, challenge these notions. And 
the theme of my podcast is take charge of your thoughts, take charge of, of your life, because the cognitive space is where I was able to start challenging some of the messages that I had internalized, challenge them, dispute them, and then rewrite them so that yep. the thought processes that I was encountering in my own mind, which I am in control of, mm-hmm. I can't control other people's thoughts, but I can control mine. I challenged them, disputed them, replaced them with new thinking patterns. And that was game changing for me. So I just wanted to touch base with your mindset work that you have mentioned. And because it's just so, to me, it's the most powerful way to get into, like you said, or get out of rather the hole that you had to crawl out of. And you have to do it yourself. Because frankly, unless you have a a podcast like yours to listen to, which thank God you're here, and messaging from other folks that are sadly few and far between in this space, you won't hear it anywhere else. You really won't. You won't. But I also want to let everybody know that reframing your thoughts is not hard. It's it's not this overwhelming, scary to-do list item. It's Mm -mm. not. It's like anything. You can take it in the size doses that work for you, the more you practice, the better you get at it. And it's, it's lovely in that it's self-proving. Like you get to see results from that. You get to feel better pretty quickly and sort of teach yourself that that effort did come with a reward. Yeah. So reframing thoughts, I know it sounds weird to just, and maybe it also sounds kind of too good to be true that you can just think about something another way and feel better. Uh, you kind of can't fake it. You can't like lie to yourself. <laughs> you yeah. have to you have to understand that the way you feel now is not a way you want to feel. That you have agency over your thoughts and you can change them if you want to. And don't don't be scared of of really trying. It's not it's not hard. It's just it's just maybe a little bit scary to to go against the grain that that much. Yeah. And you will feel like you're lying to yourself at first. And that's okay because you have internalized so thoroughly many of those messages. But as you start to challenge and then be rational, I'm going to do a podcast episode on REBT, which is Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. So again, for any skeptics out there, there's an entire body of therapeutic literature on cognitive therapies, and they are shown to be extraordinarily effective for lifting depression and anxiety, which is, of course, all balled up in all of this. If mm-hmm. you are feeling you are in the grind and in the dating scene, it's it's causing you to feel demoralized and hopeless. So it, it's scientifically based here. And it sounds sometimes a little bit too good to be true. And the first time you challenge a thought, there will be resistance because one part of you is going to say, no, that's true. <laughs> right. I've always been told that's true. Everyone I know says that's true. So it's true. So there's a little bit of back and forth, which I kind of love because I'm kind of, I have fun with it in my head. Like, all right, that's an irrational thought. And I'm a rational person. So I'm not I'm not here for that thought. And so I kind of duke it out with my mind. Mm-hmm. And that's I enjoy that because it helps me feel that no, I'm being rational and reasonable and logical. And that's something that I value. Now you can look at this from another for anyone who feels like that feels a little too scientific. There's a type of a therapy called acceptance and commitment therapy. I can't remember if we talked about this on your program, but it's a way to do a little bit more of the acceptance piece so that you don't feel like you're duking it out with yourself because that doesn't feel good for some people. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, if that feels like, well, that's I don't like that negative energy in my head, then there's another way to do it. And I have podcast episodes on, on that. But there's really, it's research-based. So if for anyone who's skeptical, 
be encouraged. It, as Shani's saying, it is, it is A, possible. B, it's a lot easier than you think once you start getting into it because it becomes your new default mode. And the neuroscience now is showing that our thought patterns, they're like grooves. If we keep driving down the same groove, it's going to be deeper, deeper, deeper and more entrenched. But when we switch it, then we can create a new groove that now becomes a new default mode of thoughts that lead to emotions that make us feel happier, more content in our life and our circumstances. It's real. (laughs) It's a thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's connect on social. I'm most active on Instagram, where I post original quotes, infographics, and I tackle trending topics in my love smarter, not harder IGTVs. On Insta, you can find me at Dr. Karen, D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. I'm also on Facebook at Dr. Karen Anderson Abril and on Twitter at Dr. Karen Anderson. So Shaney, I want to ask you some questions that I get a lot. And so, and we talked about this before when we were emailing back and forth because they're kind of sensitive, delicate questions for some. And I wanted to be sure you were open to talking about it. Oh yeah. Because many of my listeners are late 30s, early 40s, and for many women probably most women. I don't know. I don't know the statistics on it. But uh, the biological clock is a thing. And many of us grew up expecting to be mommies. And most of us grew up hoping to have a daddy with the mommy and the intact home. And so all of these things that we envisioned our life to have. And so some of the pressure that I hear is along the lines of, I'd be cool. Really, I could be single. I'm, I'm actually pretty happy single. I could be single for a lot longer, but I'm going to be 42 next year. And how many eggs do I have left? To just be very graphic about it, right? The clock is ticking and I really want to be a mom. And so if I do the math, I got to meet him. We got to date for a year. Then I got to plan the wedding for a year. And they start doing the calculations and there's a lot of fear that starts to well up. And then I think it puts, again, the pressure on them to do the dating, even when the dating doesn't feel fun and to do the online when the online doesn't feel fun. So all these things we've been talking about, the biological clock can be a real heavy burden that women are bearing. What do you think about that? How have you made peace with that or not? Or how do you wrestle with that? What's your experience with that? Sure. First of all, I just want to empathize with anyone who is dating with dual purpose. Mm. If you are dating both to fall in love and to start a family, that is unfair. And I'm sorry that you're doing that. That is never going to be fair to you or to anyone else. And I hate that that happens. I have done math like that in the past. Mm -hmm. It is so painful and so scary and so frustrating. And it creates additional urgency as if we needed it. Right. Right. But for anybody who is, who's in that space, you don't know what could happen tomorrow. You could be married and pregnant this time next year, if that's what you want. Like it's, possibilities are infinite. And I really encourage you to talk to people in your life, talk to friends, look it up on Instagram, find people who have gone down a path and found what they wanted. Just hear the stories of how people met, hear the stories of of people, you know, starting families, however they chose to start a family. Listen to more stories than the one inside your head that's doing math, because there are so many stories and so many ways that people have, uh, gotten what they wanted, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, As far as the biological clock for me, so in addition to the really casual message that I was always fed about how single is wrong and I have to fix it, I was also fed a really casual message that uh, you grow up, you get married, and you have kids. Mm -hmm. That's a really casual reiteration over and over and over again. It's just what you do. It's just what everyone does. 
And the greatest gift that my singlehood has given me is the time to realize that I am not a mom and I will never be a mom because that's not who I am. That's not my authenticity. Having children is not something that I want to do. It is not anywhere inside me. That desire is not there. And I lived a lot of my late 20s and early 30s just kind of waiting for that switch to flip. Mm -hmm. And not only did it not flip, but it like stuck further down (laughs) in the off position (laughs) as more and more of my friends had kids. And I had the luxury of time and the luxury of singlehood to see people have kids and to see firsthand that I don't want to do that. And it wasn't always in the negative either. Like there were some, I mean, obviously like there are meltdowns and there's chaos and it's mm-hmm. all things that I don't want about having kids. I would see that, but I would also see their joy and I would also see them do wonderful things and have great fun with their kids and do all these, these fantastic things. And I still didn't want a kid even then. And if I had gotten married in my late twenties, I'd have a kid right now. And I still wouldn't be a mom, which probably sounds really terrifying and aggressive to say, but I'm not a mother. That's just not something I'm going to be. I am a nurturer. I am a teacher. I am really warm and I am really loving, but I'm not going to give birth to a baby and I'm not going to raise a child. That's not something that I'm going to do. So the way that that's impacted me is it has lifted the biggest weight off of my shoulders that I know many women are still carrying. And it hurts my heart more than I can say that I can't lift that that rock off of anybody. And I it is real and it's very valid. Mm-hmm. And I wish that women were not fighting so much in the world in terms of sexism and double standards and the wage gap, all of it, while simultaneously fighting time. Mm-hmm. That's not fair. And that will never be fair. I I I don't know how to advise on that even like how do you how do you help somebody disconnect the dating process from the desire to start a family because a lot of the time one comes before the other you can cart before the horse it if you want to mm-hmm. i know plenty of women who are pursuing motherhood before they found their partners but not everybody wants to do that because having a baby's hard i hear i don't know <laughs> i mean I, I feel like that's rough um so it's not fair i don't know how to fix it i really don't there are there are more options today than than our mothers had or our grandmothers had, but it also feels really scary to me that women's fears are being turned into such an industry. Mm. There's so I mean, you can freeze your eggs, but you better have like ten to fifteen grand to do it. And what if you don't? Mm-hmm. What if you still want a family and you're still you feel like you're running out of time all the time? I don't know how to fix that. And I'm telling you, the greatest gift my singlehood gave me was was the understanding that I'm not meant to have children, but there are so many women that are, and they're still dating and they still are, are frustrated in this space and unable to find somebody no matter how hard they try. So I don't know what that answer is. I really don't know how to, how to make it better. I really don't. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel that same dilemma of when I get those questions, I don't think there is an answer. And that's why I asked you to just share the way that you've experienced all of these things, mm-hmm. because they are very real for some. And, and like you said, they may have been 
more real at a certain time of your life and you reconciled them. And actually, I love how you put it. One of the gifts your single space has given you is the ability to reflect and go, are these choices I want? Or are these choices authentic to me? Or are these just the expectations of, like you said, it's a casual assumption you're going to get married, have a family. And so when, yeah, and I hear in your voice, because I'm sure you hear some of this stuff as well from your community and you want to you want to have some sort of salve or balm to ease that that very aching wound that, that women feel, many do. And that fear that then becomes like, and you called it dual purpose dating, which is so well put. And I, in my book, I talk a little bit about that because I wanted, as I was getting older and my clock was ticking, I wanted to be sure that I was single purpose in finding my person. Mm -hmm. And then if the family came, it was a desire I had, like most little girls, it just maybe it was casual, maybe I hadn't really unpacked it, but it was something that I wanted. But I didn't want to marry somebody just to have babies. That did not seem like a plan. I mean, and as you know, I could have done that at 34 and called if I hadn't called off my first marriage. But it's very hard to pull all these elements out, to tease them out, to see what's what and what is you and what you really want and what you've just, again, assumed needs to be part of your life to be happy because you've been told that that's what you do to be happy. Right. Right. And whatever you want, by the way, you deserve that. Maybe that's how I help people who want to have children and feel frustrated by the dating experience. Maybe that's how I help is like reiterating to them that whatever it is that you want, you deserve it. And you don't deserve the frustration that comes along with the modern dating space. I don't think, in a lot of ways, I don't think that this is where we were ever meant to end up. I don't yeah. think that we were ever meant to end up with Tinder. I just don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. But you're, don't let it take your self-worth away from you. If you want to be a mom, you deserve to be. If you want to be someone's partner or spouse, you deserve that too. Whatever it is that you want, you deserve it. And just because you don't have it yet, that doesn't make you less worthy of it. And that doesn't mean you don't deserve it. And knowing that, reframing your thought around that, and knowing that you deserve what you want, that you are not imposing upon the universe for wanting something you do not yet have, maybe that's how we help. That's just so beautifully stated. <laughs> so lovely, Shaney. Anything else that you that's on your heart to share with singles, especially being National Unmarried and Single Americans Week? And I love this space. I found it. I don't know, years ago when I first wrote my book and I thought, is there a time that we actually look at single living and, and celebrate it and celebrate? Because of course, you know, my messaging is, you know, there's a lot of things that singles do that they are stronger than some that settle. They are courageous to face the single shaming. So I love the idea of it's a week for singles to get their due. Like you said, the other people get married, check, they get the party for that. They have babies, there's showers, there's the parties for that. Where's the party for the single people <laughs> who are doing the right thing by staying strong? So I guess this week is it for us. Anything that you'd like to share with my audience uh, along these lines or anything else that's on your heart about your platform and what you have to say. Yeah. We have to throw the party ourselves. Yeah. And the other thing that I strongly suggest you do if you're single is stop waiting. Don't save anything for best. Don't save anything for whenever. Don't save something for when you've accomplished something. Do it now. Use the fancy soap eat the fancy chocolate. <laughs> I suggest to my audience, uh, one of the things I do 
is I tend to keep a bottle of champagne in my fridge and I don't know what it's for. I just like that it's there. I like that I can celebrate anything, anytime with champagne or with like, you know, something non-alcoholic and festive, whatever it is that you like to celebrate with. But I always have that in my fridge so that I kind of always have the mindset that like I can celebrate anything whenever I want. And it's not just for big things. You can celebrate anything. If you feel accomplished, if you feel happy, if you, and anything can generate the feelings of celebration. Maybe you like cooked a really complicated recipe that you've never done before. Maybe you made it through a week without like reverting to old thought patterns around singlehood. Maybe you made it a day or maybe you made it an hour, whatever it is, whatever you do that makes you happy, celebrate that. Don't wait for someone else to celebrate it. Don't wait for someone else to validate you. Don't wait for somebody else to tell you, you did a good thing. You already do good things. Just acknowledge them yourself and celebrate yourself way more than the world tells you to. The world is never going to support a single, well, I hope the world does eventually, but it's taken a long ass time. (laughs) Celebrate whatever accomplishments you deem worthy of celebration, whatever size they are, because that's practice in reframing your thoughts too. And I used to save so much. I used to save everything. I I thought that I couldn't travel by myself until I was with my partner. I I didn't travel for a long time because I thought I couldn't. I used Mm -hmm. to save so much. I'll do it when I have somebody, when I'm partnered, when I'm married, when I'm whatever. Don't live like that. Please don't live like that. I lived like that for so long. And I don't regret it because it was part of my own personal journey to get where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I can suggest (laughs) that all of (laughs) you stop... um, don't wait and don't save things for when you're partnered. Do whatever you want to do right now because you are worthy of it right now. You are not half of anything. You are not incomplete. You are not lacking. And until we get those messages from everywhere, we kind of have to tell them to ourselves. Mm. So that's what I would suggest to this audience and know that I am very, very empathetic to all stages of singlehood. And I'm working very, very hard to help us change our narratives and expand our narratives. Um, And I hope that that has an impact. I believe it does. Absolutely. And I'm so thankful that you've shared your platform and your messages and your philosophy and all of this with my with my community. I find it so empowering. And I really appreciate your time today, Shaney. Where can listeners get more of Shaney and a single serving podcast and everything else you have to offer? Okay. So shaneysilver.com is very easy to find and very Googleable. I love having a Googleable name. <laughs> so shaneysilver.com is sort of the hub for everything. On that site, you can find links to the podcast. You can find links to uh, my medium where I write on singlehood all the time. You can also find probably the best place to start is something called the single girl syllabus. And that is on my website. That is a very organized literal syllabus of things I've written and things I've recorded that I think will help sort of just help you build a firmer foundation around living like a happy and full and valid single life. So I put that together. That's there for you if you want to check it out. I love it. Thanks again, Shaney. I appreciate your time and a happy National Unmarried and Single Americans Week. (laughs) Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. All right. The love and life hack for this week is, and I'll borrow from Shaney, we have to throw the party ourselves. It's not about waiting for or living in the winds or expecting someone else to celebrate us. We need to celebrate ourselves. 
Take a page from Shaney's playbook and keep a bottle of champagne in the fridge just in case you need to celebrate something, anything. Throw your own party. Happy National Unmarried and Single Americans Week. We'll be celebrating throughout the week with Instagram Lives, a fun little Singles Week giveaway. So check my Instagram stories for how to enter. We'll also be doing bonus episodes. So be sure you are on my email list so you'll be the first to know about all the good stuff going on with love and life. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Averill. I'm so glad we spent this hour together. If you have 30 seconds, head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the podcast. It would mean so much to me and it helps others find us and our love and life community. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abram.